Friends, have you ever come to the realization that maybe you aren't in control? <laughs> I was hoping you would laugh. <laughs> it was supposed to be a joke. Uh, the last two years have only solidified what we've already known to be true. We can't control what happens to us. We've never been able to. And it's hard for us to accept because there seems like there is so much we can control. You know, we've created a lot of technology that makes us feel like that. You know, it's snowy and cold outside, but we're, we're nice and warm in here, right? We've created technology that you can be within the same five-degree temperature range that most humans prefer. Personally, I like a cool 67 at night. Just saying. That's how I, what I prefer. But what do we do when we face situations and hardships and trials over which we have no control? Now, in the ancient world, the thing that most people considered out of the realm of human control was the sea. One scholar says the sea represented cosmic powers of chaos and was understood as a deity who threatened to undo the order of creation. Wow. Nothing is more out of control than the forces at work in the sea to the ancient mind. And even today, with all of our technology, does it not remain an untamable beast? We can blow up mountains. We can excavate the land. We can drill in the Arctic. But the sea, it remains untamed and uncontrollable. So when the disciples, they're suddenly in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, they are in the ultimate situation in which they cannot control. Can you imagine yourself in that boat that day? I want to remind you that this, this is not a legend. This is not just a Sunday school story. This really happened. In fact, it's a, it's a dangerous reality today in the Sea of Galilee. In fact, there, there, there's cars that are parked on the western shore and there's warning signs that waves can come and damage these cars in these storms. And uh, one scholar says that the Sea of Galilee, it was famous for its sudden storms which blow down from the surrounding mountains and transform it into a boiling cauldron. Wow, what a picture. And this was all the more dangerous that it happened at night. Story's easy enough for us to remember and to retell. This huge storm comes up and, and everyone thinks they're about to die. And meanwhile, Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up and say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And then Jesus, he rebukes the wind and the waves. Immediately the storm stops and Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? And now the disciples, they're actually probably more terrified of Jesus than they were even of the storm. Who is this? The wind and waves obey him? Wow. And friends, this is the main question that's getting at the main point of this story. Unfortunately, the lesson is not that Jesus calms the storm and he's going to calm your storms too. That's not the point of this passage. Now, there are things that we can learn about our own storms, but that's not the point Mark is trying to get at. Mark is trying to get us to ask, along with the disciples, is, who is this? Who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey. And the main point is that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of creation. He is God. And don't lose the wonder, don't lose how incredible this must have been to witness. A man just spoke to the weather. 
A man just spoke to the uncontrollable sea and it listened. They've been following around and they believe he's a great teacher. In fact, they call him teacher in the story, right? They believe he's a prophet, a miracle worker even. And they probably, they might already suspect that yes, he is the Messiah, though they have not said it out loud yet. But no prophet had ever done what, de- what Jesus just did here to the Jewish mind, Old Testament theology. Only God, only God can control the chaotic sea. Let me just give you a few psalms that reference this. Psalm 65, 7 says, You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves, and the tumult of the nations. Psalm 89, 8. Lord God of armies, who is strong like you, you rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. Let me give you one more. And Mark probably had this psalm in mind when he wrote this story. Psalm 107. It says, Others went to the sea in ships, conducting trade on the vast water. They saw the Lord's works, His wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised up a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky and sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided, guided them to the harbor they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Doesn't it amaze you how similar this psalm is to this story that just happened? It's God alone in both stories who can tame the untamable sea. Friends, let me remind you that when Jesus lived, no one questioned the fact that he was a man. That is the one thing that they knew for sure. This is a man. This is a human being just like us. So why was Jesus asleep in the storm? If you read some commentators, they say that Jesus' sleep is exemplifying his trust in God in contrast to the disciples' fear. But friends, Jesus was sleeping before the storm started. And you can trust in God 100%. You can trust in God with all your heart, but if there there is a storm that is raging on, tossing you about in the boat, you are certainly going to wake up unless you're totally exhausted. You're totally exhausted. Maybe some of you have slept through a storm before. Anybody done that? Yeah, a few people. So Jesus had been on a constant pace of ministry. People, remember, were pressing, crowds were pressing in on him that he might heal them. His family thought he was crazy. The religious leaders thought he was working with the devil. And this must have been emotionally taxing. And then this day, Mark says he was teaching people all day long. 15, 16 hour day maybe. And then when he finally gets to a moment to lay down, he just conks out. He just conks out. He is exhausted. This is what humans do. This is what humans do. Jesus sleeping in the boat, it shows us the fullness of his humanity. And the disciples knew this. They knew this is a man like us. In the parallel passage in Matthew, the disciples ask, what kind of man is this? They knew that. And then can you imagine a, man, a human being just like us? 
doing what Jesus just did to the wind and the waves? You would be astonished. And if Jesus can speak to the wind and waves and they listen, then who is he? And the conclusion we know, but don't lose the wonder of this. He is God. He is God. God spoke and creation came into being. God parted the waters. God alone stills the raging sea. And Jesus is God incarnate. God in flesh. And so this story that Mark is telling, it shows us at the same time the fullness of his humanity and the fullness of his divinity at one time. Do you see this? Are you with me? And you Christians, you know this. He's not just a nice moral teacher. The main point of this passage is he is Lord of creation and therefore God himself. And so after Jesus calms the storm, Jesus asks the disciples, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? You see, Jesus, he's revealing himself to them. He's giving them a sign and he's calling them to a deeper trust, a deeper faith in himself. What kind of faith is Jesus looking for? So now we can begin to think about how this story might apply to our own lives. What does it look like to have faith in the one who calmed the wind and the waves when I'm in situations I can't control myself? What does it look like to have faith in this one? And before we get to the applying it, we need to understand a little bit how not to. And I just want to, I think we know this, but Jesus doesn't calm every storm. He doesn't miraculously intervene in every situation. Seas, they have storms. Life has trials. But like the disciples, Jesus is with us in the boat. What would it look like to trust in him, to have faith in him, when I'm in in situations I can't control and they don't go the way that I would hope? What might a faithful response be? Let me give you this. Number one, we trust in Jesus' character. We trust in his character. I think maybe the first mistake, if you call it that, the disciples make is that they, they question the care of Jesus. They wake him up and they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And some translate this or paraphrase it in a more harsher tone. Teacher, are we to drown for all you care? The disciples, they are bewildered. They are, they are confused that why is Jesus so unconcerned about our collective fate? They're questioning his care. Don't you care, Lord? I mean, don't we all feel that way sometimes? Perhaps mystified, bewildered, confused about God's lack of intervention. God, why aren't you doing anything about this? Are we to die for all you care? And perhaps if we stay there, it leads us to questioning his character or his love. Don't you care about me, God? Now, biblical lament, it teaches us how to express our deepest disappointments with God. But yet, its normal pattern of how the Bible and the Psalms teach us to pray is not to stay there. We need a more fuller expression than just this this passage in Mark. It's not a full biblical lament. It's a situation that happened. But how can we learn from the Bible how to lament? Well, there's actually a psalm that is questioning God, why are you asleep? Psalm 44 says this. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. 
rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. Now, I want to just keep this up on the screen for a second because uh, there's a pattern in lament that we can learn. And typically, most people put it like this, protest, petition, and praise. Protest, petition, praise. There's a protest here. Look at this. Awake. Why do you sleep, Lord? Why do you hide your face? They're protesting God's lack of intervention in their life. And then they have their request. The, the rise up and help us. Rescue us. Help us, Lord. And then there is some type of usual praise or proclamation that they're going to trust in God because of your unfailing love. So it's, and it's important to keep that order as we pray, petition and uh, protest and petition and praise. We're allowed to question and protest God's seeming unresponsiveness to us. But the Bible trains us to not stop there. We protest, we ask for His help, and then we say, Lord, I'm still going to trust you because I know you're a God of unfailing love. And they knew that in the Old Testament. They knew that before Jesus. And we should know all the more now, should we not? Because the cross has forever answered that question. Lord, do you care that we will die? And it's as if Jesus said, yes, I do care that you will die. That's why I died for you. I died in your place. I took your sin and I buried it so that you might have life with me. The cross demonstrates that God loves us supremely. Peter was in that boat that day. The apostle Peter, he was in that boat. He experienced that storm and he asked along with the disciples, Lord, don't you care? And after later in life, when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he writes in 1 Peter, cast all your cares on him for the Lord cares for you. Perhaps after a wisdom of maturing in age or learning more of Jesus, he got his answer to that question. I know the Lord cares. Cast your cares on him. So if the storms of life, they suddenly rise up out of nowhere, it cannot mean that God has stopped loving us. His character is unchanging. The storms, they don't change Jesus' character, but they do test ours. Will we trust in him and his unfailing love? So we, we, we proclaim our trust in his character. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is trust in Jesus' power. I think the disciples in this story, they turned to Jesus almost before it's too late. They were afraid of drowning, right? Now, I'm not sure how much, how much time elapses. It does, the text does say the, the storm rises up suddenly, right? Uh, but there must have been a little bit of time that passed because they're wondering, how has Jesus been asleep during this? So there's, there's, there, some time has passed. And now some of the disciples, they were professional fishermen. This was not their first rodeo. They had been in storms on the Sea of Galilee. Like I said, this was a common occurrence. They had been out in the boat in a storm before. And so they did what they were doing, what they knew how to do, or so they thought. In the parallel psalm that we referenced, referenced earlier, the Psalm uh, 107, says that they're rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths. They reeled and staggered, and all their skill was useless. That can be translated, they were at their wit's end. They didn't know what to do. In other words, they had done in all, everything that they knew how to do. 
All of their human experience, their knowledge, their skill, it was of no avail. It wasn't enough against the storm. So it's at the moment where they realize we're about to die. They finally have the courage to wake up Jesus. Oh, how we are tempted to do the same, are we not? We look to every other solution before we just simply turn to the Lord and ask for help. Ah, I need to get healthier. I'm going to make a resolution. I'm struggling financially. I'll find a way to work more and make more. I'm struggling with a relationship. I'm going to try to fix them. We know how much that works. (laughs) But if we believe Jesus is truly with us, you believe that, right? If Jesus is with us, how are we not turning to him right away? I imagine him sitting in our you know, hypothetical boat and we're there trying to adjust the sails, trying to, fit, trying to get ourselves out of the storm and Jesus is like, why aren't you calling on me? Why aren't you turning to me right now? I mean, you have Michael Jordan on your team and your first instinct is to shoot the ball yourself? Are you kidding me? Pass him the ball. Turn to the Lord. Call on Jesus. The disciples did that, and what Jesus did, it blew them away. It's really interesting, actually, in the Greek. It says a a, a mega storm, a great storm rises up, and after Jesus speaks to it, it says it's a great or mega calm. It's the absolute transformation of the situation, just by the word of Jesus. And it happens immediately, and there's no question, Jesus just did that. He just did that. They were astonished. And I wonder, what did they think that Jesus was going to do when they woke him up? You know, maybe perhaps they thought that he could somehow protect them while this storm was going on. Like, I I don't know what they thought he was going to do. But what he actually did, they did not expect. They were absolutely astonished that Jesus could do that to the wind and the waves. And if Jesus can do that, how are we not turning to him more quickly? Paul says in Ephesians 3, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. He can do more. Jesus is able. We can never lose sight of that fact. And sometimes he might blow us away with what he does. And I know many of you personally, and I know you have stories. We just did stories of grace a few weeks ago. There are stories of God's grace, his miracles in our lives that blow us away. Amen? But regardless of what the outcome is, regardless of what happens, I think maybe the best example of faith in the Bible is that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they are threatened for not bowing down to King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue, it says they say to him, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Oh, brothers and sisters, we believe Jesus can. We believe Jesus can do anything. We believe he's able. In fact, I believe he will deliver us in some way from the storms that we experience. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going anywhere else. Even if he doesn't, I'm standing strong. Even if he doesn't, I'm still putting my faith in him. Like the disciples said, you alone, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? Where else can I go? Even if God doesn't, 
I'm not letting the devil tempt me into forsaking Jesus. Even if he doesn't, I'm doing everything I can to stand. And after having done everything to stand, I will stand, as Paul says. Are you with me? We trust in his power. We also trust in Jesus when obedience is dangerous. This whole thing started with Jesus' call. He said, let us go over to the other side. Let's cross over the other side. Crossing a sea at night, somewhat dangerous. He asked them to do something with some risk involved. There may be occasions when Jesus does this, when obedience to him puts ourselves in dangerous situations. Now, most scholars think that Mark's original audience, as they're reading this, this is the persecuted church. And perhaps they are themselves asking, literally, Lord, don't you care that we're dying? Why aren't you intervening? See, obedience to Jesus was literally endangering their lives. And Jesus was not always intervening to prevent martyrdom. He didn't promise that. But he did say he would always be with them. And that the Holy Spirit would empower them when they faced situations when the waves were above their heads, so to speak. He said, I'll be with you. I will empower you. I will speak through you when you're before those rulers. So Jesus called them to go to the other side at night. And we may be called too to love our neighbor, to love our enemy, to be obedient to his call. It may involve risk, but we trust in him anyway. And this leads me to my last point. Number four, we trust in Jesus whether we live or die. Whether we live or die. After the storm calms, Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? I was pondering this. I had, to, I had to ask, what were the disciples afraid of? What were they afraid of? They were afraid to die. They were afraid that they were going to die in that storm. And so Jesus is essentially asking them, why are you afraid to die when I'm with you? Where's your faith? Jesus was calling them, calling them to have such a confidence in himself that they would not even be afraid of death. Last week we talked about Jesus saying kind of crazy things. Here's another thing, crazy thing Jesus said, crazy to us. Matthew 10, 28. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus taught us God and judgment are the only things that we should have a healthy fear of. Everything else, have no fear. But for us, death has lost its sting. And so Jesus can call us to any circumstance and we can go with courage because we know he, he is with us and we know our ultimate destiny is in the new heavens and the new earth. No one or nothing can ultimately harm us, right? So we're called to have a radical faith and not to be afraid even of death. But I want to clarify this a little bit because we're also called to radical wisdom. You know, I've heard, I've heard Christians take this truth and say, you know, yeah, but Jesus said we need to have faith over fear. We need to not be driven by fear. And unfortunately, this can often be misleading. Here's a couple of Proverbs. The Bible talks about Proverbs 22.3. A sensible person sees danger and takes cover but the inexperienced keep going and are punished. Let me give you one more. Proverbs 27, 12. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going 
and pay the penalty. Okay, so these Proverbs, they're about taking proper precaution, right? And so we need to make sure that we don't mistakenly judge people's precaution as a lack of faith. Here's a paradox of the Christian life that is absolutely true. We need both courageous faith and cautious wisdom. We need both courageous faith and cautious wisdom. Jesus didn't question the disciples' faith for not swimming across. No, they took every tool that they had to make sure that they could cross the sea safely. And it was Satan who tempted Jesus and said, Jesus, why don't you throw yourself down off the temple mount? Because the Bible says that the angels will lift you up and you won't strike your foot against a stone. In other words, Jesus, have faith over fear. Don't you trust in the Lord? And Jesus says to him, do not test the Lord your God. Courageous faith, cautious wisdom. And wisdom knows that different situations require different responses and we're all in our own situations. Sometimes you might need more faith over your fear. Sometimes you might need more caution. And sometimes you need both at the same time. Amen. Friends, Christianity, it's not easy. There's not these easy proverbs that just give you all the answers. It's complex discernment in the spirit there's a variety of factors to consider always and if we're not sure what to do we pray we listen to the spirit we seek others for guidance we, re we read scripture and we seek the lord's guidance on every matter and haven't we needed both over the past two years courageous faith cautious wisdom and usually we need both at the same time we need wisdom jesus may call us to do things that get us killed he may call us to do things that harm us, loving our neighbors, loving our enemy, preaching the gospel. These could always endanger us or at least invite the harm or insults of others. And yet we're called to also have wisdom, to take cover from danger when, where, and how we can. So friends, live with wisdom and yet don't live afraid. You got that? <laughs> Easier said than done. Romans 14, 8. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We trust in Him whether we live or die. And we live with wisdom. So friends, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you're in a situation you can't control? My guess is you're probably in one right now. I invite you to trust in His character. Jesus cares. Trust in His power. He is able. Turn to Him first, not last. Trust in Jesus when obedience seems dangerous. Trust in him whether we live or die, and yet live with wisdom. Friends, Jesus is Lord. He is fully God. He is fully man. He is on the throne right now. In fact, one of the favorite images of the early church, you'll see this in ancient art, is the church in the boat with Jesus. Not that they won't face storms, or that he intervened in every storm. But they knew, if he is with us, if he is with us, we can face anything. And as we sang earlier, he will carry us safe to the shore that ultimately matters. He will carry us through the storm that is life itself. Amen? Turn to Jesus. Have faith in him. He loves to forgive, to save, and to carry us through. Amen.